Amen, amen. Hey, if you would grab a Bible, get to Ephesians chapter 6. It's the last time you'll, you'll will hear me say turn to Ephesians for a while. It's our last sermon in our series through the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, somewhere in a seat in front of you, you'll find a, a black hardcover Bible there. Grab that and get it in front of you or get it up on a phone. I just want you to see that uh, when we teach here, we're just trying to look at God's word and say what God says as it pertains to our life. And so get that in front of you. Um, often when a sermon begins, you can, you can start with a kind of an interesting story or something funny or some interesting fact, and yet no, none of that feels fitting today. Instead, I, I kind of want to start with a statement that it's going to just kind of smack us right in the face, and the statement is this, we are at war. We're at war. Like there, there's no, there's no you know, interesting anecdote or funny story that will appropriately set up where Paul goes with the end of this letter here. We have to understand, sitting in church this Sunday in the middle of central Indiana, we are a people at war. And, and we need to define what that means. And this passage defines what that means. But I, I, let me just lay before you to start. I don't, when I say that, I, I, I'm not ultimately up here as a preacher that, that's proclaiming that ultimately the war is not against culture. Ultimately, the war is not against any other people. There's a deeper war going on underneath all of that or over and above all of that. And this is where Paul goes at the end of this letter. And now we have to understand, like as we look at the whole scope of Ephesians, it makes total sense why Paul ends the letter the way that he does. Because uh, beginning of the letter, all about, and I, I've said this every week, I, I hope that you take away the structure of Ephesians. I hope if you, if you didn't get anything else, okay? I hope you can be like, oh, we know the structure of Ephesians, right? But the letter begins, and, and all Paul is doing is just saying, here are all the riches of the blessings that are yours in Christ. I'm not going to camp out on all the commands right now. You just need to know, here's all, if the gospel is good news, let me write about the good news that it is. If you believe that, and then if you come to the second part of the letter, which is all about now, how do you live out those gospel realities in the way you live your life? How do you put off the old and put on the new? How do you live that out within your family? How does it affect the way that you are as a husband and a wife or a mom or a dad? How does it affect the way you are as an employee or employer? If you live those out, so if you believe these things and then you live these things, the end of the letter goes, watch out. Not in a way that makes us cower or scared or crushed under it, but watch out. Spiritual attack is real. Spiritual warfare is real. And let me just say to our kind of modern, Western, like enlightened culture, the spiritual realm is real. We're going to talk more about that. But today... We're going to get equipped for spiritual warfare. Today, this passage gets us equipped for spiritual warfare. And I want, to, I want to tease out three parts of this section of the letter here that are going to be really important for us. And, 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 and in these three parts or these three points of the sermon, here's what we're going to get after. We're going to, we're going to understand who our enemy is. We've got to know our enemy. If you're in a war, you need to know your enemy. 
The second part, we're going to know our armor. What has God given to us for this war? Because I'm telling you, part one, like the first part of the sermon is going to feel kind of heavy, okay? We're going to get at the reality of who our enemy is, that he's real. We're going to talk about that. But we're not going to get crushed under that because we're going to come to point two. And we have a good God. Literally, it is called the armor of God. We're, we're not back there in the, you know, our, our blacksmith shops behind our house crafting our own armor. He's given us his armor. And we got to know what that armor is. And then the third thing, we need to know our battlefield. I'm convinced so many times we're fighting spiritual battles on the wrong battlefield. And this passage defines for us what that battlefield is. You ready? You ready? Let's pray right now. Father, help us. Seriously, help us. Quiet our hearts. God, please give us the sense of urgency over spiritual warfare that your word gives it. But God, please enable the mouth of your preacher to not give too much credit to the enemy in the midst of that. And God, let us walk out of here rejoicing at the conquering victor that you are over it. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All of today is about this statement. So if you go to lunch and someone asks you what was church about, here's the, here's the cliff notes. Church today is about this. We stand against the devil's schemes in the armor of God and we fight spiritual battles on the battlefield of prayer. That's it. Now three, three ways I want to show us that from this passage here. First point is this, write it down. The devil is our enemy. Let's define our enemy. The devil is our enemy. And how does he fight? He fights with spiritual forces of evil. Look at eyes in your Bible, verse 10. Finally, remember he's coming down to the end of his letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? Of the devil. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So uh, when I ask questions, when I'm preaching, it's always an open book question, right? Open book quiz. We're stand, we're, we're, we need the armor of God to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. The, the, the devil biblically has just been defined to be our enemy. In the, bat, in the spiritual war battle, the devil is our enemy. And now, this is really, really important. I think often as believers, we settle for a, a, a far too fuzzy understanding of who our adversary is. Uh, we, we can kind of go, yeah, it's just this evil presence thing. I, I think often we can let movies or cartoons shape our theology of the devil better than we do looking to the Bible. So the devil isn't the little red guy with the pitchfork on her shoulder. Biblically, when the Bible brings up the devil, when the Bible brings up Satan, 
Who is being talked about? The Bible teaches us there was an angel and he was magnificent in his beauty. His name is Lucifer. The way the Bible describes, I mean, just, just epic in beauty. In his pride, he longed to be like God. He longed to be a glory robber, if possible, but God shares his glory with no one. And in that was cast out of the presence of heaven. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Isaiah 14, it'll be on the screen. It says this. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you're cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Ezekiel 28 uh, gives some expansion on this. He says, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the, in the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you out as a profane thing from the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O guardian cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. I want to bring some definition for us when the Bible talks about the devil or Satan or Lucifer. This isn't just some fuzzy, nebulous, spiritual, dark thing. There is a real enemy he was cast out of the presence of God. And the Bible also teaches us that in being cast out, he took some firepower with him, some other fallen angels who serve as his demonic hosts. It's, it's the reality. It's serious. And so when, the, when I talk about Satan today or devil or Lucifer, I'm talking about this enemy and how he took some firepower with him. And there's this demonic host that serves him with this goal. He has a goal. And his goal is summarized very succinctly by Jesus. His goal is to steal and to kill and to destroy. I love you all. I'm not trying to be some hellfire brimstone preacher. I just want us to understand these things. There is an adversary, and he hates you. He hates your kids, and he hates your grandkids. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy you. Adversary literally means Satan, and he's warring. He is warring against our God, and he's warring against the things of God, and he's warring against the people of God. And now how does he fight? Look, look back in your Bibles. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against what? It's so important. I'll come back to that. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
How, how does this adversary fight? He fights with, uh, the, the, as the Bible said here, these, these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our wrestle is not ultimately against flesh and blood, though it often feels very much like it is. When that person sins against you and cuts you deep, it feels very flesh and bloody, doesn't it? But there's something going on behind all that. There's an adversary and an enemy driving that force behind there. And, 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 and so if the Bible reminds us today that the battle isn't ultimately against flesh and blood, let us heed the words of Hamish to Katniss Everdeen before she took the arena for battle in which he so succinctly said to her, remember who your enemy is. And I'd say the same to us, remember who your enemy is. So the person who sinned against you and cut you deep, for sure, they need to own their sin. They're accountable for their sin. But there's an adversary driving that. Or in marriages, sometimes our marriages can plummet to the depths of the pit and we start pointing fingers at each other going, they're the enemy, they're the enemy, they're the problem, they're the problem. Look at me, look at me, your spouse isn't the enemy. There's an adversary at work trying to steal, trying to kill, and trying to destroy. The believer, the believing friend, who like, man, your friendship was tight and it was great and then something was said or something happened and then this and now bitterness, years and years of bitterness and division and dissension and the battle isn't against flesh and blood. We have an enemy. He's real. Let me say it like this. There is a spiritual realm and this is a spiritual war. I've already said once, sometimes our modern, western, enlightened culture will try to explain that away in a variety of different ways. We'll try to, to, try to just water that down and get our eyes off of that reality. But here, listen to this. The denial of the spiritual realm and the reality of Satan is in fact one of Satan's greatest schemes. If he can get us to distract and deny, I mean, uh, I'm 19 years old. I'm not now, I was. I was 19 years old and uh, had just gone to Africa for the first time. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work of God, uh, taking kids out of the slums in Nairobi, giving them a home and a place. And, and, and I, I remember 19, I, I, grew, up, I grew up in a, in a vein of churches where nothing demonic was ever talked about. You don't talk about that. That's the weird stuff the church down the street talks about. And so here I am, 19 years old, on, I mean, my feet are on the dirt of Africa, and I'm seeing the frontal attack of straight demonic stuff. Like, and I'm asking, I'm asking the, the, the orphanage owner's son, I'm, what's that? Okay, what's going on there? What's happening there? And I remember just confused. I'm a, like a baby believer, 19 years old. I come back and I'm like, Dad, 
Why did I see the effects of spiritual warfare like blatant right before? Why don't we see spiritual warfare right here in our culture as well? And my dad in his wisdom and simplicity and wisdom, he just said, Brock, the spiritual warfare is all around us. The enemy has us so distracted and so in denial. And so my whole goal of the first part of this, when we read that there, that there, there are these schemes of the devil, that are there, again, there, there, there are these rulers, these authorities, these cosmic powers, these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The whole point of my first point is that we would realize and not explain away and, and, and not water down the reality of the enemy that, that God declares that we have. So what do we do? If we have a real enemy and there is a real war, what do we do? Like, are we, are we all supposed to just be crushed under that right now? As Christians, are we just going to, like, cower behind the seats? What are we to do? Well, we praise God that he understands the reality of the enemy that's warring against us all, and he has equipped us for the spiritual battle. And he's given us, listen, he understands our adversary better than any of us in the room. And he has given us the perfect armor for the way that that stinking schemer works. So second point, we must put on the armor God has given us to withstand the devil's schemes. We must put on the armor God has given us to withstand the devil's schemes. And now I'm going to read this. Now, as I read about the armor of God and as we explain the armor of God, I need your brains to do the work to paint the picture of the armor. I, I'm not putting any armor of God pictures on the screen, frankly, because they're all so stinking cheesy. I think growing up, I'd be like, I don't want that armor. It looks so weak. So you need to do the hard work of letting God paint for us the armor he has given us. Verse 13. Uh, first word of verse 13 says. First word of verse 13 says. Therefore. So in light of this reality. That there is a spiritual war. There is an enemy. Therefore. Take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand. To, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. In what circumstances? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's walk through this armor. Let's walk through the armor that is God's, that he has given to us for the reality of the spiritual battle in which we live as believers. First thing mentioned is what? The belt of, belt of truth. Remember what I said our good and gracious God knows exactly what armor 
we need to have for the enemy that we're up against? Why is the first thing mentioned the belt of truth? Because Satan is a, he's a liar. He is a liar. Anytime he dangles a lure of temptation in front of us and we're like, oh, that looks good. That looks fun. He's like, yeah, bite it. See how it feels. He's a liar. And I'm not talking just blatant, outright lie. He's a shader of truth. He's a twister of truth. He knows how to not only get us 180 degrees off base, he knows how to just get us 10 degrees off. You get 10 degrees off multiplied by 20 years, you're off. I hate him. I hate him because he's a liar. And that's why God says, you know what? Belt of truth, slap it on right now. That you may be able to withstand the lying schemes of the enemy. That when lies come, you're like, belt of truth. I'm filtering all your lies and all your temptations through the truth that God has given me. Next thing, breastplate of, breastplate of what? Righteousness. And so, take up the whole armor of God. You may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all the stands, stand, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, right on the heels of, of how we're equipped with truth, the conversation goes to righteousness. My easy, simple definition of righteousness, just how I like to remember, is doing what is right as God defines it. So, so many different people have a definition of what's right. That which is truly righteous are those things that are right as God defines what is right. I don't want to lean on my own understanding of what is right. And frankly, I love y'all. I don't really care about your understanding of what is right. We need to care together about what God says is right. And if we get twisted off of the truth, it's not far, we're not far behind doing things that God would say are not righteous. And so as, to, as temptation for unrighteousness comes, our God is so good. The gospel has won for us a breastplate of righteousness. That when we are armed up with the breastplate of righteousness, when temptation for unrighteousness comes, chink, take it up, put it on. Third, my favorite, shoes ready with the gospel of peace. As I always like to say, lace up your gospel Nikes. He's given us shoes ready with the gospel and then he, define, he, he qualifies gospel, he describes gospel and he says gospel of, of peace. Man, are we ever in need of peace? He says lace up the shoes ready with the gospel of peace. Peace. And you know what Paul's been doing in this whole letter? He's just been unpacking the beauties of this gospel of peace. If you'll believe this, all that is yours in Jesus, if you'll live this out, 
the peace of God reigning in your heart, and then you're ready with that gospel of peace to take that gospel of peace into any situation and area in which the enemy is sowing the opposite of peace. That we would have our feet ready, our shoes readied with the gospel of peace. Verse 16 so important in all circumstances take up the shield of what shield of faith in all circumstances take up the shield of faith what's faith i know often right when we ask big questions of of like our of our beliefs like a question what is faith always just go back to the word faith is the assurance of things hoped for the certainty of things not yet seen we take up a shield of faith. Why do we take up a shield of faith of which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one? I want that statement to again bring us back to the intensity of the reality of the spiritual war we're in. Um, if you're getting shot at by arrows, is the situation intense? If those arrows are on fire, is it intense-er? Shot at with flaming darts from the enemy. And these flaming darts are often darts of doubt. And we take up the shield of faith so that as those darts come, boom, to the ground, to the ground, to the ground, to the ground. Uh, something I learned early on in, in my walk with Jesus, I don't... I'm just weird like this, is you know, believer, those with the spirit of God dwelling inside of you, you know when just thoughts that are like uh, totally of the enemy, just nodding heads. Everyone's like, yes. I'll, like, I'll just be driving down my like 20 years old and just boom, what? I'd be like, shut up, Satan. <laughs> I don't do that as much anymore because I have kids in the back usually and a bride. Shut up. Shield of faith. Your flaming darts of wickedness and doubt. Pfft. My gods equip me with a shield of faith. Let them drop harmlessly to the ground. Goes on to tell us we have a helmet of salvation. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of what? I need you to say that word. Helmet of what? Yeah, helmet of salvation. What's a helmet do? You lose your head, you're dead. Lose your head, lose your life. What is protecting our head? Salvation. All the way back to the beginning of the letter, do you remember Paul writing about this, this victory that Christ won on the cross? His blood shed instead of yours. His death in place of ours. Him rising victoriously over sin and death and him laying up an assured inheritance for us, a guarantee, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until we're in his possession. That's the salvation guarding our head. Thank you, Jesus. And then the sword of the spirit. And we get some help. What is the sword of the spirit? It's the word of God. 
then wield your sword. How do we combat these assaults, these attacks from the enemy? Wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, this passage, I just described for us, we just described together what the armor of God is, but this passage has commanded us to do something with the armor. What are we to do with it? What are we to do with it? Come on. We're to take it up. We're to put it on. Church, listen to me. I am not interested in us gathering just so we can describe and talk about and go, ooh, cool belt. Put it on. Neat sword. Grab it. Ah, oh, cool breastplate. Put it on. There's a great scene, Batman, Dark Knight. He goes down into like the equipment layer. I don't know what it's called. And, and, and he's looking at all of his new, you know, new tech, new equipment. Uh, uh, Bruce Wayne ain't leaving that in the drawer for long. He's going to put it on. And we have to arm up. We have to put on this armor. Why? Because we want to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, as verse 10 says. Why? Because we want to be able to withstand the schemes of the devil, as verse 11 says. And so we take it up and we put it on. Now, let me ask this. If, if it was up to us, just our wisdom, just our thinking, our wisdom, and I know how I'm wired. You now have this description of the armed up believer, right? Like we do like the helmet, the breastplate, the belt, the shoot, the sword. You have this picture of this armed up Jesus follower. What do you expect to come next in your own wisdom? Let's go! Charge, fight. And this is where, y'all, this is where I think we've got our booties kicked for far too long because we've been fighting spiritual battles on the wrong battlefield. What do I mean? Verse 18, first word is what? Pray. Whole rest of the paragraph's about Prayer. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then, he, and then he pleads them, go to the battlefield. Go to the spiritual battlefield for me. This is what Paul's saying. Go to the spiritual battlefield for me and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Third point, so important. We fight spiritual battles on the battlefield of prayer. My whole, my whole life, right? Growing up in the church, hearing this, my whole life, I loved a passage like this. You got the Christian warrior armed up and I'm like, let's go. How about the power of the image of the Christian soldier 
man, man and woman armed up on their knees doing the battle of spiritual warfare through prayer. The armor given to withstand against any of the attack that comes, but the assault happening on our knees in prayer. Let me ask you a question that convicts me. Do you believe the most important thing you can do today is pray? Thank you. Do you believe the most important thing you can do today is pray? Like with your kid who's so far from the Lord, she's so far from the Lord, you don't know what to do, you're at your end, and you have preached, and you have preached, and you have preached, and you have preached. Do you believe the greatest thing you can do for them is get on your knees and pray? There's some situations right now in this room where I'm on phone calls yesterday, just talking to people, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Palms open before the Lord. We just, we just got to cry out. Do we believe the most important way we fight spiritual battles is on the battlefield of prayer? The prayer warriors who are praying over your life believed it. The heroes of the faith believed it. God, grow in me this intensity for the war that happens in prayer. And how I, I I'm not trying to convince, I'm just saying how I have turned prayer into something so unwarlike at times. John Piper says, could it be that many of our problems with prayer and much of our weakness in prayer comes from the fact that we are not all on active duty and yet we still try and use the transmitter? We've taken a wartime walkie-talkie and tried to turn it into a civilian intercom to call the servants for another cushion in the den. You think about wartime walkie-talkie? You think about the, the communication that happens in the foxhole over something like that? Then you think about domestic intercom, civilian intercom. Could we get some more Diet Coke in the basement? How my prayer, and listen, as I say this, God loves us to bring all sorts of requests to him. Don't hear me not say that. But how my prayers are so often so shallow, treating God as some cosmic vending machine. And God, I'd love another one of these. God, teach us how to war in prayer. Teach us with our armor on that the most valiant thing as Christian warriors in the midst of the spiritual warfare is to get on our knees and pray. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. God, do that in us. And so it seemed the only fitting way as we're gathered as the company of Christians, as the congregation of Christians, as the, as the army of Jesus followers, is that we would actually put that into application right now. 
let me know, all of us in this room who know Jesus Christ you are under spiritual attack. Every single one of us. And yet some of us in this room walked in here today sensing the intensity of that attack in unique ways. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you if you're in the room and you are, there's, an attack, there's spiritual warfare in your life that you need the company of Christians to gather around you and pray over you. I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment. And in the first service, it was beautiful. All over the room, all of God's people huddled up and praying. It's one of the most beautiful sights that I think can happen in the church of Jesus Christ. Because, you know, let me say this. I know that when I ask this, I know it means you being honest and vulnerable and transparent and actually standing and actually declaring, I need the prayers of God's people. I need God to intervene in this. But if we can't pray at church, where can we pray? And if we won't pray at church, where will we pray? And if you've never been to our church, and you're like, oh, no, 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 this is what I dreaded. One of those awkward church moments. You came to church, what'd you expect? If we ain't gonna pray here, where are you gonna go where there's prayer? Because some in our midst need us to get on the battlefield with them right now in prayer. And so if that's you, and you sense the intensity of the spiritual warfare in your life, just stand in your seat right where you're at. Just stand in your seat right where you're at. Thank you. Thank you. And now God's people together. I want you to look around. I'm going to make sure we don't miss anyone. Look around right now. And we need to make sure we are going right now praying with them. Listen, you don't need to know all the situations of what's going on. We need to gather around them and we need to go to battle in prayer for what's going on. When you get there, when you're huddled around someone to pray, someone needs to be bold enough to start praying out loud. And from there, the Spirit of God will lead our times. Church, break up. Let's pray. Let's go to battle in prayer with the people we love.